You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing today? Man, it is so, so good to see all of you. So glad that you are in the house of the Lord this morning. Those of you that have joined us online, um, I want to let you know we're going to be taking communion here at the end of the message. So uh, go ahead and just grab whatever you've got on hand um, to be a part of that and have that ready so we can participate together. If you got your Bible or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me uh, to the New Testament. We're going to be um, in the book that was written by Jesus' brother, uh, the book of James, and we're going to land in James chapter 1 here momentarily. You know, over the past several weeks as we've been in this series, I've been thinking a lot as we've been talking about uh, systems and processes, something that has continued to come to the forefront of my mind are Rube Goldberg machines. Um, Whether you recognize those by that name or not, I'd say most of us in the room are probably uh, familiar with an example or two. And so if, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, let me explain. A Rube Goldberg machine named after the American cartoonist Rube Goldberg is a chain reaction type machine or contraption that was intentionally designed to perform a simple task in an indirect and overly complicated way. Usually, these machines consist of a series of simple, unrelated devices, and the action of each triggers the initiation of the next, which eventually results in achieving a stated goal. Perhaps the most well-known version of a Rube Goldberg machine is from the family board game Mousetrap. Maybe you remember the jingle from the commercial, Just turn the crank and snap the plank and then boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole and knock the ball in the rub-a-dub tub, which hits the man into the pan. The trap is set. Here comes the net. Mouse trap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, what does that have to do with anything? And I'm glad that you asked. You, You always ask such great questions. It's simply the idea that we rarely end up at the wrong place in our lives because of one bad choice by itself. Rather, we we typically end up at the wrong place in various areas of our lives, one step at a time, one day at a time, one bad habit at a time. It is all a process. And sadly, we we tend to summarize the product of less than desirable results in our lives with, with a single sentence. We say things like, he didn't follow through, so the company was forced to let him go. Or she struggled with her weight for decades and died of a heart attack. Or he cheated on her and they ended up divorcing after two years of marriage. 
None of those single sentence summaries paint the whole picture. They just point out the straw that eventually broke the camel's back. Perhaps the great theologian Gavin Rossdale, lead singer of the band Bush, said it best when he said, it's the little things that kill. It's the little things that kill. Today, we're in part four of a series called Habits, where we're taking a look at some of the small things in our life that can lead to some of the big, biggest differences that that God is wanting to make, that God is wanting to do in and through us. All the way back in part one, we talked about the power of starting small, that it's often the small things that nobody sees that lead to the big results that everyone wants. And then in part two, we talked about how our systems overshadow or trump our goals, that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And then last week in part three, we talked about how we can start a new habit, that we should never underestimate God's ability to do something big in our lives as a result of our choice to do something small. And in the same way, today, we're going to talk about, just like it's important for us to start some new habits, some new good, positive things that, that equally, if, if not more important, um, we need to stop old, bad ones. And so last week, I, I posed this question. Based on who God wants you to become, what habit do you need to start? And so today, I want us to approach things from the opposite side of the coin. And I want to start with this question. Based on who God wants you to become, what habit do you need to stop? What habit do you need to stop? And so hopefully by now you've turned with me to uh, James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21 and then um, we're going to back up a couple verses and, uh, and, and read 14 and 15 here in just a minute. So let's start out James chapter 1, verse 21. James says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So James right there, he's saying the the bad things that are going on, the the things that are leading you towards towards rubbish and trash and and evil, you you need to get rid of all of that and instead accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. Get, Get rid of the things that are holding you back from becoming the person that God is calling you to be and instead embrace that calling, embrace the word of of the Lord in your life and and take steps in that direction. That's that's the foundation that that James is is leading us and is pointing us in this morning. And and so before we go any further, we need to understand that that there are differences between good, healthy habits and, 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 and bad or negative, unhealthy habits in our life. Good habits usually start off difficult and the payoff is delayed to some point in the future. For example, a good habit might be cutting out soft drinks. At first, if you have a caffeine addiction, you're gonna get terrible headaches. But then three months later, you're gonna feel better and you're gonna step on the scale and you're probably going to have lost a couple pounds. 
once you cut out the soft drinks in your diet. Maybe, maybe a, a good positive habit would be um, uh, taking up jogging in the morning. And, and, and I'm sure that many of you probably got out this morning and jogged um, in this frigid northeast Florida weather before you came to church. Um, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt because I know what great people you are and how badly you want to become the person that God is calling you to be. So, so no doubt you got out and you, and, and you ran in the frigid cold this morning because you know that even though it's no fun now, nine months from now, as that continues, you're going to be buying smaller pants. That's how that works. Um, maybe it's uh, a good habit is going to church instead of sleeping in. No doubt this morning, it would have been very easy to just pull the covers up under your chin and snuggle in. And, you know, Sunday morning sleep is always the best sleep of the week. Amen? Amen. Yes. But instead, you did the hard thing and you got out of bed and you came to church. And, and as we do that over and over, what we're going to find is that a year later, we're going to be closer to God than we've ever been before. We're going to have a better marriage than we've ever had before. We're going to be more peaceful in, in, in the midst of the, the circumstances of our life that we've ever been before. But then we look at the, the opposite of that is, is bad habits. And, and bad habits are usually easier up front. They, they, they pose a, an immediate payoff, and the negative results are delayed. It's things like smoking cigarettes, that we go out for a smoke, and, and it relieves the stress that we have right now to, to get that nicotine fix. And then decades later, we die of lung cancer. Or, or it's, it's eating McDonald's or some sort of fast food for lunch every day. It's, it's a quick, cheap meal and it tastes good, and it gives us comfort, and it fills our bellies. But then decades later, we find ourselves obese and diabetic. It's on the surface, it may appear like some of the bad habits in our lives are they're just no big deal. And, and we, especially here in America, we've embraced stuff like this, and, and we've made it no big deal. But when, when we allow those things to stick around, Ultimately, what we'll find is that they're going to keep us from becoming who God wants us to be or who he's called us to be. And simply put, the, the root of that kind of behavior can only be described one way. And it's with one very small, simple word. It's sin. It's sin. Now, we've talked a lot over the past few weeks about, um, you know, the practicalities of, of establishing new habits and systems and, and you know, uh, turned our attention towards, you know, perhaps losing a few pounds or getting more healthier or getting closer to God by reading our Bibles and things of that nature. But, but I got to tell you this morning, this is something so much bigger than losing some weight or, or no longer chewing your fingernails, Okay. Like there are bigger things at play here that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, that, that all of those things, they work together, but ultimately, ultimately to, to get to the place that God wants us to be, it, it's, it's not just dieting and exercise. It's getting rid of the filth and the evil. It's, it's removing the sin that is in our life that is holding us back from becoming the person that God wants us to be become. And, and James, uh, in chapter one, we'll back up a few verses to 14 and 15. We're going to look at that right now. Here, here's what he says about sin. He says, temptation comes from our own desires. 
which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Our sin is ultimately what gets us sidetracked and and, and off the path of where God wants us to be. And so rather than experiencing the abundant life, that has been promised to us through Jesus, we eventually end up arriving at a much different destination. What James says, the destination is death. And so sin ends up putting us in the middle of situations and circumstances that that you and I were never meant to be in and that had we chosen differently, they could have been otherwise avoided. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want to walk us through the the process. We've been talking a lot about processes and systems. I want to walk us through the the process or the system of of sin so that you can see how it works in our life. We we look all the way back to to the beginning of the Bible in the first few chapters of, of Genesis, and we see how the enemy is at work. And the same tactics that he used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are the very same tactics that he is using against us today. Um, we've talked about this before, that, that he, he tempts us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three methods. Any way that you face temptation, anything that is pulling you towards sin, it's going to be categorized in one of those three areas. And so let me show you how this plays out through the system or the process of sin. It first starts with our desires. It first starts with our desires. In Genesis 13, um, we, we read about a man named Lot. He was Abram, Abram or Abraham's nephew. And uh, when we come across this story, um, Abraham and Lot, they'd been traveling together, but their, their flocks had gotten so big and, and the Lord had blessed them so much and, and um, their families had grown and their, their servants had grown and everything. And, and it was getting to where, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And, and things were starting to get abrasive. And so they had to um, make a decision to part ways. And at, at this moment, Abram, he gave Lot the decision. He said, you choose which way you want to go and then I will go the other way and, and we will part ways. And, and so we pick this up and, and we, we look in Genesis 13. Um, and, and starting in verse 10, it says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. They also captured Lot, Abram's new nephew, who lived in Sodom, skipping down to uh, chapter 14, verse 12. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything that he owned. All right, so let's, let's look at this process. First, he's looking in the direction of Zoar. 
And then a few verses later, he's pitching his tents to, um, in, in a place near Sodom. And then one chapter later, we find him in Sodom. Now, Zoar, this, this city, um, the, the name Zoar, it literally means insignificant. It means insignificant. And it can be easy for us to justify the actions of our sinful choices by claiming that they're merely insignificant. Oh, if I do this, it's no big deal. And that is the slippery slope that we find ourselves on. That's how how sin sucks us in because Lot starts out by desiring the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, but then soon we find out that he settled near Sodom. And Sodom means burning. And then just one chapter later, not only is he near Sodom, but now we find out that he's living in Sodom. And Sodom is often connected with its sister city, Gomorrah. And Gomorrah means submersion. So so watch what happens here. Because of Lot's compromise, because of him saying, the direction of my life, the direction that I'm leading my family and my people is insignificant and it's no big deal, he, he ultimately ends up in a place where he and his family, they are submerged in the flames, both literally and metaphorically. That because they find themselves in Sodom and Gomorrah and it's a wicked place and and the Lord decides to to destroy it. And so he rains down hellfire and brimstone and Saul and his family are running. And and in the midst of that, as they're trying to escape Lot's wife, uh, he looks over. She looks over her shoulder. And because she looked back, the Lord turns her to a pillar of salt and she is blown away by the wind. It all started because he said, oh, this is insignificant for me to make this choice, for me to move in this direction. It doesn't seem like any big deal, but it's what ultimately led to his downfall. So first off, the process of sin, it starts with our desires. It continues with, number two, our direction, our direction. And now we're going to take a look at Judges chapter 16, verse 1. This is um, part of the story of one of the judges of Israel the judge, Samson. Um, he was a lot like me. He was handsome, and he had a lot of hair, uh, big muscles, you know. So, um, yeah, basically mirror image of, of me. Um, Judges 16.1 says, One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Now, Here's what's interesting about this. The Philistines were the enemy. That for Samson to be in the position that he was in, he had no business going to the Philistine territory unless he was going to do something that was going to be provocative and, and, uh, and, and uh, um, you know, poke the bear, so to speak. He had no business being there. And on top of that, it's important to note that, that Gaza was about 40 miles from Samson's hometown. That's approximately 84,500 steps that Samson had to walk from his hometown to the city of Gaza, where he engaged in this sinful act with this prostitute. So his decision, it was, it was intentional 
but it wasn't immediate. He didn't get to Gaza by taking one step in that direction. He got to Gaza by taking 84,500 steps in that direction. And so it was, it was through the course of these actions that, that ultimately Samson met and fell in love with Delilah, which eventually led to his downfall when she gave him a haircut. So we have, our, we have our desires, we have our direction, the process of sin, the system of sin at work in our life. And, and, and that concludes with number three, our determination, our determination. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, um, we read this about King David. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. I've always wondered, if she was taking a shower, would she have been shower Sheba? If she was swimming, would they have said she is swim Sheba? I don't know. She was taking a bath, therefore she was Bathsheba. You'll probably never read that passage the same way again. I've just ruined it for you. Verse 4 says, Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. Verse 5 says that later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, we see in this passage that David should have been out to war, not on the roof. And so when he was on the roof, he was in a position that he was never intended to be in. And he sees this beautiful woman, and he sees her bathing, but he doesn't look away. Instead, he, he says, hey, go find out who that lady is and report back to me. And when he found out that she was married, he continued to pursue her. And he closed the gap by bringing her to the palace And it was step after step after step, bad choice after bad choice after bad choice because he thought, I'm the king. I can do what I want. I'm a man. I will make my own decisions. And having removed all of the guardrails, having taken step after step after step with intent and with purpose, and you get all the guardrails out of the way, sin was inevitable. And so the moral really of these three stories is that unless you want to end up bald and pregnant with a salty spouse running for your life as God rains down hellfire and brimstone, stay away from sin. That's not really the moral. (laughs) The moral is simply this. Today's decisions lead to tomorrow's destinations. Today's decisions lead to tomorrow's destinations. 
So if you don't like the destination that your current habits are bringing you to, stop them. Stop them. If you don't like the destination, you don't like the direction of your life, that the current habits that you have in place are getting you, then, then stop doing them and try something else. The question that when I'm confronted with this in my own life, and no doubt you might be wondering the same thing here this morning, is simply, yeah, that's easier said than done. If I want to stop these habits in my life, if, if I'm unhappy with the direction in, uh, that I'm headed and the destination that I'm arriving at, then how? How do I do this? How do I stop these habits? James Clear talks about two things that we need to do to, in his book, Atomic Habits, to, to stop a bad habit. And, and the first one of those things is simply to acknowledge it. We've got to acknowledge it. The truth is that you and I, we, we can't defeat what we won't define. Or, or we're, we're unable to overcome what we refuse to own. So maybe some people here this morning, maybe you need to say once and for all, you, you, you need to, to come to grips with, with God and, and, and be truthful with yourself that, that overeating, my, my overeating habit is keeping me from being healthy. Or maybe my complaining habit is keeping me from experiencing joy. Or my social media habit is keeping me away from spending time with my family. Or my porn habit is keeping me from honoring my spouse. Or my substance abuse habit is keeping me from fulfilling my calling that God's placed on my life. Whatever it is, put a name on it. Name it. Call it. Point it out. Write it down. Have a conversation with God about it. Get it out in the open. Recognize it, acknowledge it. I see this. I realize this is a problem because until we put a name on it, until we define it, we won't be able to defeat it. So, first, we have to acknowledge it. And the second thing we got to do is we got to make it difficult. We got to make it difficult. Last week, we talked about if we're going to start a good habit, we need to make it easy and obvious. But if we're going to stop a bad habit, the reverse is true. we got to make it hard. We have to put hurdles in the way. The truth is our flesh is weak. And unless we are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to fail every time. We've got to lean into his strength and his courage and his boldness and his power at work in our life for us to be able to, to overcome these bad habits, these, these systems that we currently have in place that are leading us in the direction of and, and arriving at destinations that we don't want to be in. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We have to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit to avoid those poor decisions. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, we read this. Don't do as the wicked do, and don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. Last week, we talked about the habit loop and how 
in order to form a habit, the way that, that our brain, um, you know, the way that it computes information and, and that one thing, uh, it starts that chain reaction that we've been talking about is that, that first there is a cue and then there is a craving and that leads to a response, which ultimately we arrive at the reward. I listed several uh, examples of that in last week's message, the cue, craving, response, and reward. And so if, if, if that's what it takes to initiate or to build a new habit, hopefully a good habit in our life, that in order to, to stop a bad habit, we have to, we have to interrupt this, this, this process somehow. And so the idea is, is that if, if we will remove the trigger of the cue, then we can interrupt the response. If, if, we'll, if we'll remove the, the cue, the trigger, then, then we'll interrupt the response or, or the action that we take. And so as we do this, there's, there's really five primary triggers that help to lead us to the development of, of habits in our life. And often it's stuff that because these are habits, like we don't even, we don't even think about them. But, but again, if we're gonna overcome something, if we're gonna defeat something, we've got to define it. And so as we define it, let's look at it through the lens of some of these triggers. So we, the, the five primary triggers we've gotta watch out for, number one is places, places. Like if if when you go to the bar, the end result is you get wasted, stop going to the bar. It's the place. We find ourselves in places that we, we don't even think about it, but there's, there's habits that are built in to when we, when we just show up and arrive at those places in our life. Also, the second one is, is time, not just place, but, but time. If, if, you get, if you get sucked into watching porn late at night, then you've you got to remove that cue of, of, of late at night. You've got to be sure that, that you're going to bed before everyone else or, or with everyone else so that you're not up and alone and, and at, you know, late at night. Mama always said that nothing good ever happened after 10 p.m. anyways. I think that's pretty good advice to listen to. We remove that cue so that we can interrupt the action. If, if, um, it, the third one is, is our mood. The third one is our mood. If, if you overeat, whenever you get bored, buy a jigsaw puzzle. All right? And instead of going to the fridge, go to the, go to the table and, and, you know, find an activity to do to, to keep yourself busy. Or, or if, if when, when you're lonely, you get drunk, to kind of drown all of that out, get into a life group and make some friends with people so that you're in a certain, like, you're, you're, you're relationally connected with other people and you can be sure that you're not lonely anymore that you've got people around you that, that when you find yourself in that position, you can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I need some interaction right now rather than picking up the bottle. The fourth one is, is, is moments. If, if after work, your, your typical thing is, is that, that, that once work is done and you're so stressed out that, that you're, gonna, you're gonna go and, um, and, and be with these people and, and you're gonna get high, to kind of blow off some steam and, 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 and come down off of the stress of the day. 
you, you, have, to, you have to change that and, and put another behavior, an, another thing in its place. Or, or if after you fight with your spouse, you're going to get on the phone or in a text message chain and you're going to gossip and you're going to complain and you're going to bash your spouse to all of your friends and talk about how horrible your marriage is and everything. As long as you continue to do that, you're going to continue to get the results that you've been getting until you break that chain reaction. Or maybe it's the people that you're around. If, and when, when you sit next to one of your friends in class, if the end result is, is that you cheat on the test, you need to figure out a way to, to break that chain, move seats. Or if, if when you're around your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you fall into sexual sin, you got to figure out a way to, to break that chain because as long as you continue to do the same things that you've been doing, you're going to get the same results that you've been getting. Unless we can remove the cue, remove the trigger, we will never interrupt the response or the action that we take. And, and what makes this worse is, is that these, these triggers often, they will, they're, they're not just standalone. It's, it's a place, a time, a mood, and certain people, and, and, and they, they get stacked on top of each other. And so it's, it's multiple cues, multiple triggers firing at once, and that's why it makes it so difficult. That's how the enemy is at work in our life and, and why it makes it so difficult to get out of this cycle. But once we realize it, once we define it, once we put a name on it, then we can defeat it through the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going it's to call us to some things that, that you and I, I'll be quite frank, that, that we're not very comfortable with. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 9. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Jesus says, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. He says, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. So if you guys are serious about this, I think we've got some rusty tools in the shed back behind the church. No, Jesus isn't talking about us literally cutting off our limbs and poking out our eyes, but what he is saying is that we need to deal immediately and decisively with sin. That sin is not something to be played around with. It's not something to be toyed with. That, that sin is not an area of our life in which we taper it off. Sin should be an area of our life where we cut it off. We, as Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud. The more dangerous the habit that we have in place, the more drastic measure that we need to take. If it's oversleeping, that's the bad habit, 
that's keeping us from becoming the person God's called us to be, we might need to move the alarm clock across the room so we can't reach it from the comfort of our bed. If it's overspending that's keeping us from becoming who God's called us to be, maybe we need to cancel our Amazon account. Don't worry, Jeff Bezos will be okay. He'll be like, we're, we're not going to steal any groceries from him or anything. I think he'll be fine. If it's wasting time or procrastinating, maybe we need to delete social media apps from our phone. If it's eating unhealthy, steer clear of fast food restaurants. If it's being tempted to cheat on a test, move away from the friend that helps you. If it's racking up debt, a good move to take is to get the credit card out of your wallet. A better move to take is to freeze it in a block of ice. The best move to take, cut it up, pay it off, and never go there again. If it's a porn addiction, maybe you need to install accountability software on your computer, your electronic devices, and and have the alerts sent to your parents or to your spouse. Maybe you need to move the computer or the television to a centrally located part of of your home so that everyone can be in full view of whatever it is that you're looking at. Maybe you need to, to, uh, heaven forbid, cancel your streaming accounts so that you don't have access to that stuff or have someone block websites and give them the password so that, that you can't oversee it. Or for God's sake, get a flip phone. I guarantee no one with a flip phone, men, nobody with a flip phone was ever struggling with porn on their device. What, if it's leading you down the path that you don't want to be, take some drastic measures because our life hangs in the balance here. If it's alcohol addiction, stay out of the bar. Don't go to the liquor store. Avoid the aisle, you know, the, that area of the grocery store. Whatever you've got to do, however big the habit is, once you define it, once you put a name on it, once you see that this is the thing, this is the system that is getting me the undesired results, we need to do whatever we can, not just to taper it off, but to cut it off, to get rid of it. Because here's the thing, Jesus didn't endure the cross for you and I to continue to engage in a lifestyle of sin. He endured the cross so that we could live victorious over sin and its power in our lives. Paul writes in in Romans chapter 6, he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to succumb to the power of sin in our life. We don't have to give in to those temptations. We don't have to go down the path of the things that are leading us to the destination that is undesirable. We can be the people that God has called us to be if we'll take the necessary measures to become that person. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7, he says, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. God is so rich in his kindness and his grace that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to buy our freedom so that we don't have to live that way. Today, You're invited to the table to experience his grace, to walk in the freedom that's been granted to us by his death. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever those bad habits are that are leading you down the wrong path, that that filth and evil that, that James talked about that we need to rid from our lives, whatever that stuff is, somebody here this morning, somebody watching online, you need to know that his forgiveness is unmatched and his grace is enough. Whatever you got going on, his grace is enough to overcome it. You don't have to live that way. You can live victorious because of the work of Jesus on the cross and because of the power of his Holy Spirit that is at work within you. So that stuff you need to stop, you can do it. Not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ alone. As we prepare to take of these elements for communion Perhaps you're here this morning and and you've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to a relationship with him. This morning, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching with us online today, I wanna give you the opportunity to receive the gift of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness. You could do so by simply praying a, a simple prayer. It's, it's gonna be here on the screen. I'm gonna lead you in it. Could we just pray this together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way rest of my life. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.